Welcome back once again to the Endurance Hour podcast alongside Kona coach Wendy Mater, Dave Erickson here, episode 399. Been podcasting since January 2012 and about to approach the 400 mark. We'll get that next week, most likely. So, got lots of questions for uh, Coach Wendy and myself this week, about seven or eight of them. So, without further ado, let's get started. This from Payson. I'm doing the swim portion of the main 70.3 triathlon, and I have not swam this year. What do you suggest, Wendy, I do in the next five weeks to prepare for the open water, water swim portion of main 70.3? Well, that's easy. Start swimming. <laughs> next question. <laughs> no, seriously, I think the, the best way to kind of jumpstart and get ready, you know, depending on your previous experience is to... Number one, get get in and swim and assess where you're at. I mean, are you struggling with completing the distance? Hopefully not because you committed to helping your friends out and doing the swim portion. So I'm sure you're you're capable of doing the distance. Otherwise, you wouldn't have committed to, to doing this with your friends. But still, get in, kind of assess where you're at. Um, usually the first day back after a long time off, chances are high you're going to feel pretty good. It's usually the the second, third, and fourth day where you're like, oh my gosh, I feel out of shape, I feel weak, I lost endurance, I lost strength, maybe some technique. So that first day back is so important to assess. And if you can, yeah, go the distance just to give yourself that confidence that you can do the distance in the pool. And then again, depending on what you find out with that assessment first day back, try to find an open water um, experience that you can do before Maine. Thankfully, the current is going to be behind you. So the current is going to push you from point to point. And so that's actually a good thing, especially for beginners, that they have that push from the current. And so you're going to be faster with the current, depending on the speed, than you will be in the pool. So if you can get some sort of water experience, acclimatized to the temperature, um, we have we have tons of YouTube videos that we've created about how to prepare for open water swimming, how to acclimate to cold water, as well as things you can do before um, you get in open water that doesn't have anything to do with open water. It has to do with some mindset and some dry land warm up in the water warm up that you can do before race day. Good tips. You know, I was thinking. Also, just to get out there and feel the water and, like you said, do the distance, but just do it at a comfortable pace. And there you assess, where am I? What can I do? How hard can I push next time? But to get a few swims under your belt just to um, get that feel. Because, like you said, it's going to feel probably great the first time. Oh, it's so nice to get back in the water. You know, push off a little harder, swim a little harder. And next thing you know, it's like, that was a good day. Next thing you come back, next time you come back, it's like, ah, this doesn't feel as fresh as the first time back. So, I was just thinking, just get out and swim, get, put the time in the pool, yeah. get comfortable, relax, breathe normally. And then you got five weeks, then maybe push it a little bit in a week or two. Yeah. And, and again, you don't have to, I mean, five, and again, we're probably down to four weeks since she posted the question. It's not a lot of time to build fitness and in, in the word sense of, you know, can, how much fitness are you going to build in four weeks? So it's all about getting comfortable, you know, try some higher intensity efforts for some 25 or 50 meters, maybe up to 100 meters, but don't do anything that's going to cause unneeded fatigue because, because you want to get back into a routine. You want to build up some consistency. That's where you want to start. Good question, Payson. 
Next one is from Tom. I know you and Dave have discussed the importance of pacing on the bike and the impact it has on the run. What about pacing on the swim and its impact on the bike, if any, Coach? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So when you swim and transition to the bike, whether it's in a training or a race day, you are going from the main thing is a horizontal position to a vertical position. So that's good to actually practice. I, I never do. I never had but I am a strong swimmer, so maybe it's a little different. But just, you know, whether you swim in a pool or swim in open water, getting that experience of what is it like to be at a race type of intensity, getting up immediately and, and starting to run, what happens to your blood pressure, your heart rate? Are you going to feel dizzy? Some athletes have reported feeling dizzy as they transition from that swim to bike. And so pacing, you will figure that out again once you do that once or twice you're going to figure out a little bit more about how you should pace it depending on the, did he say the distance of the race? I can't remember. No. You know, depending on the distance of the race, you may decide you're going to be at a certain intensity and then maybe, maybe hold back a little bit the last hundred or two hundreds to get your heart rate lower because as soon as you stand up and start running or walking, your heart rate's going to be affected by that. And so doing that assessment first of the horizontal or vertical, um, you'll get an idea of how to better properly pace. Someone like me is an experienced swimmer, no matter what the distance is, I'm pretty much going 100% from sprint to Ironman distance. I'm comfortable doing that. I train to do that. It's it's not a hardship for me to do that. It doesn't. I don't think it impacts my biking afterwards because I always, you know, take a few minutes, miles to settle into to whatever pace or power or effort I want to be doing on the bike. And so it's just it's just a matter of practicing what's comfortable for you. I don't think it's going to I think that the bike to run transition is going to impact you more than the swim to bike pacing wise. And I'm thinking about this on the effort on the swim and how that translates to the effort on the bike. And to me, it seems like two different aerobic systems in play when you <clears> are swimming real hard in that breathing element is so important because you got to be able to breathe consistently. You can't really take a break. Whereas if you went hard on the swim and then you got to on the bike and then you, the first few miles of the bike, you can really get your breathing back. And it's not so much being, you're not being taxed like you were as a swimmer mm -hmm. so that I don't know if it, it really matters too much on maybe you're dealing with a couple of miles or a few more minutes of recovery until you get into your, your biking mode. And then it's a lot of legs, not so much the cardio or the, the breathing that you experience on the swim you can you relate to that or is that yeah 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 i can i mean so like i already said i, I go you know all out yeah. and and the heart the hardest part for me is going from the swim and having to run because i'll try to run as hard as i can to the bike mm -hmm. i'm usually the most winded at that I point bet. in the race the race than any other point in the race is that swim to run transition sure. period of, of of running depending on the length um, because again, I'm going at my maximal effort for that, whatever that is that day. I'm trying to go as quickly as I can. So like anything, it just takes practice and trying different pacing and, and seeing what's most comfortable for you. But definitely the component of breathing is going to be the biggest issue. Yeah. Catching your breath because you get mm -hmm. a chance to catch your breath on the bike. Mm -hmm. And so the recovery is a lot faster versus the bike, the run where the running is a lot of the breathing, a lot of the right. effort, right? And your effort is on the swim, but when you get on the bike, the effort isn't going to match 
the, the aerobic breathing effort on the bike because it's going to be a lot more muscular right from, from how i would feel and experience and what yeah. i would share yeah good tips i like that this question from susan i am following your couch to 70.3 program that i got on training peaks and races in about four weeks i have not had any open water swim practice and i'm feeling very anxious about the cold water and other things i don't know about so please share your top three tips for first timers like myself who are making that open water swimming and dealing with the cold water from Susan. Hey, Susan, uh, thanks for asking. I would say number one, warm up before your effort. So if you're going to get any practice, obviously that would be number one, but if you can't practice and the, the, the event is going to be your first time in open water, make sure you get a warm up, whether it's on dry land or in the water. We've posted some videos on YouTube kind of talking about either of those options. If you don't get to warm up, make sure you start off very easy. And, you know, even experienced swimmers like myself, if we, if I don't get a warm up, I'm a lot more breathless to start with. So make sure you start off easy and start sighting. So my number two tip is starting to sight right away. Don't take too many strokes before you sight. We have videos that I talk about alligator eyes on YouTube. It, you just sight right away. You want to know you're going on course. You don't want to, because that's going to cause you to panic. If you sight, if you take 10, 20, 30 strokes, and then you look up and you're like totally not seeing the buoy that you're supposed to see, that could cause panic and anxiety. So number one, warm up. Number two, sighting. Number three is positioning yourself in the start that agrees with your pace. So if you're a, you know, let's, for example, a, a two minute per hundred swimmer, making sure you're starting within that time frame of your race and not starting out with faster people, um, maybe even start off with, with a little bit of slower time, just so you make sure you start easy and get comfortable um, at the start of the event. And the thing about the cold water is to get your face comfortable with it mm -hmm. because you're going to start to breathe heavier hard having a hard time catching your breath uh, i've experienced this a number of times in different venues in a lake in a even in a river uh, but getting your face in that water so what there you're not shocked for the very first time when you start your swim that's a big deal uh, it, right and, and, and you know again if you don't get a chance to warm up or get a chance to practice knowing that the breathing could be out of control is so much more than not knowing. Mm -hmm. So you know you could be breathless. You know the start could create some panic and anxiety. So it's definitely a mindset and going into it. I've got to show the fourth thing is visualize yourself how you want to feel and how you want to swim and how you want to start and how you want to finish. And so going in with the right mindset versus going in with the mindset of, oh, my gosh, what lies beneath? What, what are the things under the water that I can't see? Um, I coached an athlete and about a month ago, he he had been swimming in the lake up at Red Top Mount State Park for, for weeks. And all of a sudden one day he went in with a mindset because maybe he watched a movie or something that there was going to be an alligator there. And he just couldn't get over that mindset of what lies beneath, even though he had been swimming in there for weeks. And he panicked and he, he had to cut a swim short because he just... This mindset is everything, especially with open water. 
If you go to the Endurance Hour YouTube channel and type in open water in the search option, there are dozens and dozens of videos. Here are some of the titles of those, how to master open water swimming, how to survive an open water swim start at an Ironman, uh, how to sight in open water with Wendy, wetsuits for open water, how to prepare, different terminology, different wording of the same thing seems like it, fear of open water swimming, uh, pool practice for open water racing, Triathlon, open water, swimming, explained. Oh, that's a good one. The good, the pool practice video is a good one. There's a lot of things you can do in the pool. Swimming with closed eyes, swimming with your friends and family, kind of knocking each other, bumping into each other, pulling each other underwater. That's a good one. You know, so you get five or six people in, in one lane and you all start at the same time. So just check that out. We've got well over 2,000 videos on the channel that cover multiple topics and race footage and examples and demos and everything. So it's Endurance Out YouTube channel. <laughs> This question from Shawl for Wendy. I enjoyed the podcast last week, especially the mistakes first timers make um, leading up to and on race day. What are the top mistakes you see athletes make in their training, not on race day, but in their training before the race day, coach? Mm, I wonder how many I can talk about. So, yeah, you know, I, I go back to myself when I started and mistakes I made because there really wasn't anything out there. I think not following a plan that's specific to your current fitness and experience. And maybe you are following a plan that someone created or you're coached, but then you continue to do other people's workouts and you continue to do too many group workouts that are a lot more difficult for you and or are really easy. And so it's important to train at your current fitness and a mistake I see others doing even athletes that I coach who have a plan specific tailored to their needs and wants still will go outside the box and say, oh, I went on this group ride or group run or oh, I want to do master swimming now. I don't want to do your swim workouts. I'd rather go swim with a group. So, so it's tweaking things a little bit more for them. Um, number two, not tapering, not resting enough leading up to your A race. You don't need to taper for every event you do, but it's important to taper and what the taper is is a slow progression of volume over a period of one two up to three weeks depending on the distance of your race i used i made the mistake for years because i really didn't understand training volume load intensity and i never I, i'd go into these races exhausted and i i was young and naive and i could still do pretty well but at the same time i'd be like oh my god i'm so tired why you know and it took me years years to kind of figure out that that tapering can benefit you from a performance standard standpoint so much. And then number three, I'd say fueling, not fueling adequately hydration um, calories enough um, before, during and after training, I think is a, a still a mistake that I see a lot of athletes doing. I, I wrote down three and some are crossing what you just said, nutrition. So I, I experienced this before on the bike during indoor trainer rides where I was hungry when I was done, which meant I wasn't fueling correctly during the ride. So practicing mm -hmm. your nutrition during your training, swim, bike, and run, uh, overtraining or undertraining mm -hmm. because you're not following a plan or you're following someone else's plan and you're not listening uh, to your body. So those my, that was number two for me. And number three, you kind of said it is, is rest slash recovery not just rest on getting your eight, nine hours of sleep, but what are you doing to recover your body? Whether it's some sort of massage, uh, water, ice water therapy, 
something along those lines. What are you doing to make sure that your body is ready for the next day? And if you maybe you're not, don't work out the next day. So mine are very similar to yours, uh, just different wording. Yeah, and I, I want to add another one is strength training. I still think even though the research is out of the benefits of strength training, mobility training, I still think a lot of athletes, multi-sport athletes who are trying to just struggle with balancing, you know, fitting three sports into their lifestyle, they neglect um, a, comp- a component of strength training that I always find that I can add to an athlete's training plan when I'm coaching them, that they have that that 20 minutes that they can do specific strength training that are going to p- benefit them from a health, fitness, and sport standpoint. Excellent. That's a good one. Good number four. This question from Carol. I'm headed out of town with my husband doing his first Ironman in Lake Placid next month. Any tips you can provide for being the support crew for her husband. This is from Carol. Oh, how fun. Lake Placid. I've done that race twice. Um, I think anyone going to Sherpa support an athlete, coach an athlete, I've done all the above, is, you know, getting familiar with your athlete, with the athlete guide, because in the athlete guide will be some tips that are going to support the support crew, where are the best places to be on the course. I know like in a place like Kona, there's this spot called the hot spot. And the reason it's called the hot spot is you can see your athlete like four or five times during the course of an Ironman. So knowing where those hot spots are on the course that you're going to view, making sure you download the athlete tracker so you can track them on your mobile device, as well as um, getting an idea of where what your athlete how long they're going to take in the swim so you can make sure you can see them come out of the water about how long you think they're going to be on the bike and about how long they're going to be on that marathon a a, a course like Lake Placid is one two loops of each so you can see them twice on the swim if you have a good spot it's a two-loop bike course and a two-loop runs course so again if you have that tracker you'll know where they are and you'll know where to be to see them um, from from the the start and end point of the course. That's a beautiful place to go to and a, and a beautiful drive to get to uh, the Adirondacks. Yeah. There in Lake Placid. It's quite the drive too. <laughs> if you think about, oh, I'll go to the airport and just get there. Now it's not that quick, but it's a beautiful place to go. This question from Henry I'm shopping for a new bike for next year. Would like some advice. So far, I've done sprints, Olympics uh, on my hybrid gravel road bike. I'm planning on doing Ironman Montreblanc and then Canada in the fall. So looking for your advice on experience with road or tri bikes, I guess, for hilly courses. Well, we've talked about this this question before in various podcasts. So we have, again, on YouTube videos. I think for any hilly course, you're going to be fine whether you ride a road bike or a tri bike. But specific to the two courses you mentioned, if you only had one bike, I'd say, and it, and you're you sound like you're a new new to the sport of triathlon. I'd say probably a road bike. Uh, most people are more comfortable climbing on a road bike, and the bike handling skills on the descents are more comfortable on a road bike. And on most of those the courses that you mentioned, it's either there's a lot of up and down. There's not a lot of flat sections where you're going to be worried about being aerodynamic position like you would be on a tri bike. So that's what I would recommend. Shop around, yeah. try them out, and and see what you're most comfortable with. 
at first I was thinking because it is such a long race that you want to be an arrow to be as relaxed as possible, as long as possible. But because of those hilly courses, I'm only familiar with Canada, not so much Montreal. that, yeah, you're right. There's those climbing elements of being in the right position, not being hunched over with a bike that geometrically is designed for climbing. It might be smarter. And if it's your first, go with it. And then the next one, get a tri bike. I mean, you're definitely upgrading from a gravel bike just to a road bike. So mm-hmm. you're going to see the benefit of, of, you know, the road or the tri bike going from what you're riding right now. So I would say, you know, again, thinking about your future, are you are you done after these two races? Are you going to continue on with the sport? Do you think you might want to invest in a tri and road bike? You know, there's a lot of variables there, but think think of the lifestyle part of it. I think road bikes are more dynamic um, to go to group rides, ride around town, commute, um, and do other things besides race a triathlon. And, and so that's another reason why I say a road bike. And you can always put aero bars and get a little bit of aero dynamics in a different flatter course race on your road bike. You can kind of manipulate it a little bit to be more tri-friendly for aerodynamic wise on a flatter course. Gosh, I have not shopped for a bike with the intent or even the possibility of putting aero bars on them, I'd either go one or the other nowadays because they are more specific. Back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that was more of like, okay, if you get a road bike, get some hand, you know, get some um, aero bars to put on Uh just in case or when you're ready for that. But now you can really go specific either way. Um, Maybe I'm just not in the community enough to know people putting on, aero bars after the fact now as a you know a go-to versus getting a tri bike specific yeah i mean i started 30 ish years ago and i my first ironman in 1997 i put what's called spinaches on my road bike to do kona and they were just little you know they weren't even aero bars but there were little things that you probably see more cycling specific events using yeah. And and I kind of hunched over a little bit and was a little more aerodynamic. But the first few years of of me racing was always just putting some clip-ons on the day before the race, and then yeah. I would take and then I would take them off because I didn't I, because I didn't train with them. I was never really comfortable on them, so I only used them race day. Wow. And I probably didn't even use them effectively race day. But that that's what you were supposed to do for triathlon was put on aero bars. Yeah. Uh, this is a question from Rebecca, and this just happened. She finished Ironman Coeur d'Alene in 16 hours, 11 minutes, following our 32-week couch to Ironman training plan from Training Peaks. She says, thank you. I felt prepared, and now I want to do another Ironman. Can you recommend an Ironman distance race that is not Ironman branded? She's looking for uh, spring of next year for the next race. Yeah, so for, for those who don't know, Ironman World Triathlon Corporation owns the name Ironman and Ironman 70.3. And there are other Ironman distance races as well as half distance races that are just called, you know, things like, I don't even know if it still exists, but the Great Floridian is an Ironman distance race that takes place in Florida. There's a race in Oklahoma, and I meant to look this one up, Redman. I believe that's the race in Oklahoma that's an Ironman distance without the World Triathlon Corporation logo on it. There was a series called HITS, 
H-I-T-S that used to yeah. do a sprint and Olympic one day and a half and a full the next day. So the HITS series kind of around the world, um, as well as other other Ironman non-branded races. It's hard to say if they're still around or if they will, will still be around because, you know, just over the years, Ironman World Triathlon Corporation bought out a lot of the local mm -hmm. um, iron distance races. There's also Challenge, which is a company that has half Ironman um, and I think Ironman distance races that still exist. So it's just a matter, you know, which ones do I recommend? I, I don't because I've never done any of those ones. So I'm not really sure the quality. Um, they're usually smaller. They probably have less. They th Obviously, they're smaller. They have less participation. They probably have less volunteers. Um, it's probably, I would, don't, I, I guess, quote me, I'm going to say less quality of racing than the World Triathlon Corporation events put on from what I've heard from other athletes who have done iron, other Ironmans. Mm -hmm. Well, I found something on triathlete.com with a uh, 11 non Ironman or Ironman world triathlon corporation events. Great Floridian. This is from October, 2029, Michigan titanium. There was challenge. There was a hard man Killarney in Ireland, uh, Redmond you mentioned in Oklahoma city. Uh, the hits, Palm Springs, Alaska Man Extreme, Bear Lake Brawl Triathlon, Peasant Man, uh, the Norseman Extreme Triathlon. Is that on your bucket list at all? Well, our former Team Timex teammate, Tim Hola, did that one a year or two ago. Yeah. Um, I, those extremes used to be on my bucket list. They're not anymore. But back in the day, I always thought I would want to do one of those. I mean, maybe I still do. I've always wanted to do a double Ironman, but not not in the current state of mind I'm in now. I don't, but maybe that'll come back to me. Uh, one final question. This is from Dave, and he says here, um, how do you get back into triathlon training when you've taken a year or two off? How do you ease into it to get back to where you were? <laughs> okay, I love, th I love this question. I've never had a year or two off triathlon since I've started. So I don't have the experience of trying to do that. I did have, I am currently in rehab for patella surgery and I am currently um, working out. I'm not training. It's been 14 weeks. And so I am kind of experienced that how to return to your sport after time off. And so, you know, from my experience and just from my coaching experience and knowledge, it takes time. So you got to have patience. You have to realize you're not at the fitness that you once were. And to get back to that fitness, you're starting at a much lower level than you once were. So you just have to really be someone like me who really enjoys the process. And I always have. And I'm kind of having um, humorous moments with my current fitness and current activities I'm able to do with seeing how high my heart rate is, seeing how long my recovery heart rate goes down after I do a bout of aerobic exercise. And, and again, I can laugh at it because I know I'm going to get to be where I want to be. It's just going to take time. And so you want to maybe find a plan or a coach that understands creating something to your current level and ability right now and keeps it fun, keeps it keep to keep you active. Um, make sure you, you, you incorporate that strength training, mobility training, and just ease into it slowly and, and, and going with the mindset that, you're going to have fun with it. And just, I think getting in shape is, 
it, it is fun. It is fun to me. You know, I've had this is this is a huge setback in my life, but I have a positive attitude about it. I think my advice to Dave would be is to be patient as much as possible that first year. You know, they say, like, let's say between seasons during your off season, mm-hmm. when you get back into the next season, it, ta- it doesn't take as long to get to, let's say, 80 percent of your previous fitness quickly. You can get there quicker. It's that other 20 percent that might be a little harder because it is harder. And if you take some time off, uh, but I'd say be patient. And what else would you tell me about the first year back besides patience, coach? <laughs> Again, you got to have fun with it. You got to you got to make sure you're finding these activities you, that you're enjoying them. I mean, especially if you take time off running, getting back to running is so much harder if you're the multi-sport athlete than, than to me getting back into swimming and cycling, although I am a swimmer. So maybe that's different for someone else. But like right now, I can't run. Learning how to run again is very difficult. And I'm learning so much about learning how to run and I'm and I'm taking it all in because I can help other athletes learn how to run again based on my experience. And so you just got to keep the keep your effort ease into it. Don't don't try to, you know, get in shape too quickly because then you'll probably get hurt or overtrained. So just take it slow and have that positive mindset that it's going to be fun and entertain yourself and laugh at yourself when you can't do something that you used to be able to do. That's tough telling someone who's competitive and has the type A personality to, hey, you're not going to be what you once were. But why not? It's it's up to me, right? Uh-huh. I mean, that's kind of what this is a, a sport that really is dependent on how hard you try is not against somebody else. You don't you're not in a combat sport. You're not fighting against somebody else. It is just you and your fitness and the discipline, the consistency, the dedication to get back to a certain level and to push it. I remember hearing, um, gosh, his first name. Uh, um, he was on the Timex team. He was on the team for a couple of years. He won Ironman Wisconsin when he wasn't on the team, but then he made the team after that. I want to say Darren, but it's not right. Anyhow, in his speech the next day, he talked about how, you know, there, you know, school teachers, lawyers and nurses and all these people, you know, they are great at what they do. I'm really good at exercise. And I remember him saying that and laughing. I think people in the crowd laughed too. You have to be really good at exercise to be a good triathlete. And that is what you do. You exercise for the professionals. You exercise for a living. And that concept of like, huh, you know what? That's that's all you, that's what you do. You have to get up every day and your job is to exercise. It always struck yeah. me funny to to think of an athlete like that. Mm-hmm. That's their that's their job is to just to be fit. Whereas other people, you know, it's the experience, it's the education, it's the hands-on doing, the physical part of it, the the mind, and or you know, handling things. I don't know. Just a thought. And and it's totally a mindset. Taking a year or two off or any time off, it's always a mindset because it's a motivation thing. You know, sometimes you have to get going to get motivated. It's not the motivation that's going to get you going. And and having dangling out a, an event, signing up for an event is what a lot of people like to do to get motivated. That's not always going to get someone motivated, if the, especially if the event is a little bit too extreme, like an Ironman distance or even a marathon. So put an event out there 
to say, okay, for me, you know, when the event's out there, okay, this is going to change the path of my training because I'm training for an ultra, I'm training for a sprint, I'm training for 5K, I'm training for a marathon. That changes the track of my training. But I don't need that to motivate myself to train because I'll always be at this certain level of fitness when I'm healthy and and not injured. So it's it's a mindset. It's it's maybe, you know, bringing your friends and family along to join you, rejoin you on your journey. And you had a year or two off. So your body is going to remember where it was two years ago. It doesn't forget. So you're not it's not going to, you know, you're not coming off the couch. You've yeah. been doing this for a certain amount of years before you took a year or two off. I think the biggest <laughs> hurdle for someone like Dave, myself, is knowing what the path involves and taking that all in. Almost like a person who looks at an Ironman and says, oh, my God, 140.6 miles. I've got to do this versus breaking it down into, into chunks. Because if I look at, oh, God, I got to put in all this time just to catch up to where I was. Am I willing to put in? Those months, that effort, that discipline, that sacrifice of like, oh, God, it's going to take a while just to catch up to where I was, and then I have to build, and then I still won't be where I was because it's been, I'm older, I'm slower, I'm, you know, all that kind of stuff. That would be the another big hurdle of uh, not to be overwhelmed by the journey ahead, maybe take it, you know, one step at a time. Take it one, you know, take it one step at a time. So again, coming from me, you know, I get all the comments, you're going to come back stronger, you're going to come back stronger. And in my mind, I'm thinking stronger from when I was very strong before I broke my kneecap. I mean, I, 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 I don't know where they're, you know, like, like they're making me feel better. That's the right thing to say is you're going to come back stronger. And I, and like you, Dave, I'm, you know, in that I'm 50 I've been doing this for 30 years. When am I going to want to get to the level I was before I broke my knee? How will I want to do that? How long will it take me to get there? Um, Do I want to maintain that level? So yes and no. I mean, I can answer that both ways. Part Part of what motivates me is I see other athletes training. Like I have an athlete riding 60 miles this weekend and running eight miles. I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could do that. That just sounds so grueling and just the feeling you get when you complete a, a brick workout like that. But at the same time, I'm like, I can't. There, there, there's no way I can do that right now. I can't even run. So I got to put that out of my mind. I see athletes signing up for these epic trail races. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that. And then I'm like, oh, that's in January. I, I, there's no, I can't do that. So I have to like get that out of my mind and just focus on what can I do today to possibly get me to be there in the future? And I don't know when I'll be there or if I'll even want to be there. And, you know, when someone says come back stronger than you were, the mindset of accepting a lesser result, you know, a lesser performance, because it, it's it, the peak is over. You know, it's it's not yeah. getting any better. It's right. how close can I get to where how close can I get to where I was? Right. Father time, they say, is undefeated. Mother time is undefeated. You can't beat this clock, right? Yep. And have the, uh, you know, I'll just finish with the strong why. If you get that strong why, I think anything is possible. Oh, there's the cliche too, isn't it? Anything is possible with a strong why. Uh, and again, yeah, the strong why. And right yeah. now, my why is I can walk up and down stairs, left, right, left, right, left, right. I can walk up and down stairs, left. I can ride my bike outside. 
that's awesome, you know, because I have to do that in order to be to be what I want to do in three or four or five months. I have to do this today to get to where I want to be in three or four months. And maybe in three or four months, I decide eh, I, I don't want to do that anymore. That's OK. I'll find something else I want to do. Health and fitness. It's just all about health and fitness to me right now. It's not about sport. It's not about performance. It's just get healthy, get fit, be active. That's great. That's great. Hey, thank you, Pace and Tom, Susan, um, Trisha, Carol, Henry, Rebecca, Dave, for all your questions for this episode of the podcast, 399. Alongside Coach Wendy Mater, I'm Dave Erickson. Thank you so much for listening this week. We're back next week. Until then, have a great week of Racing, training, or recovery. Adios. Adios.